I'm going to uh, start this morning by <clears throat> sharing with you a little bit of a story that y'all are, it's going to be hard for you to believe because it was hard for me to believe. A few weeks ago, I was starting to wind down in my series and I knew Easter was coming. And I said, well, it'd be a great time to hand this thing back over to Kevin and that'll give him a few weeks in advance to get ready for Easter, just like y'all have seen me do, talking about Palm Sunday and the preparations and all the things leading up to Easter. So I go to Kevin one Sunday after I'd gotten through preaching. I said, I said, you about ready to take it back? You want, you want to pick up next week? And he goes, hang on, man. I, I don't think I should. You what? Really? I really get to keep going? He said, man, I, we got the youth trip coming up and I'm going on it. And he said, I don't really want to... Um, have to, you know, get it for a week, find somebody to fill it. And then I said, that's fine. That's fine. That's good. That's, that's awesome. So I, I start rocking on. Well, he sends me a, a, a message last week or maybe earlier this week. And he goes, hey, did you want me to preach Sunday? I mean, I can. No, bro, I got this. You remember? I tried to give it to you and you said you didn't want it. It's hard to get from. Right, right. I don't want to give it back quicker than I have to. So, this is one of my favorite times. Kevin will probably tell you the same thing. This is one of my favorite times to preach. This, this is the single most important event in the history of the world. But it's also one of the hardest things to prepare to preach because there's so many options. There's so many ways to go about this. There's so many things to talk about. For instance, um, go to, I'll just, we'll go there. Come on. You'll, you'll recognize this a little bit. Go to the book of John, chapter 20. Uh, actually, go back, go back to 19. I, and this is not my message. I just want to give you an example of some of the things we could talk about this morning. Right, because all these things I'm not going to get to preach, I don't want y'all to miss. <laughs> Chapter 19, the book of John. Don't stand up to read this one. We'll get to that one here in a minute. Chapter 19, verse 28. John, chapter 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill Scripture, I thirst... A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I could preach all morning on that. I want you to recognize that before this time he'd been offered that same soured wine and he declined it. So why would, he, why would he accept it this time? Why right here at the end? He had gotten so parched from the suffering that he, couldn't, he needed to wet his palate in order to speak. Now you think about that. Y'all bring us water and, and y'all see me and Kevin up here talking and we, we get to struggling and you can tell we're struggling, right? You can tell our mouth is getting dry. Right? You, you, right? Jesus had gotten to the point in His suffering that He could not make words come out of His mouth. Can you imagine the amount of suffering that is? So, there's another thing in here I don't want you to miss. He asked for it this time. He's refused it a couple of times. Now He asked for it. Enough out of you. So, he, so, so now he's... We couldn't even tell. I tell you what. So now he's so parched that he asked for this soured wine. And when they offer it to him, notice what they offer it to him on. A hyssop branch. Y'all know what a hyssop bush is? There were cane available. There were dogwoods available. There were hardwoods available where, they could, where you could have made a stick, a long, hard, solid stick that would be used to hand him that sponge. But a hyssop bush is just that, a bush. 
It was lots of leaves. Do you ever remember what the hyssop bush was also used for? Y'all remember the Passover and the instructions that they were given to put blood over their doorpost? You know what they used to paint that on there with? Hyssop. Now think of that. Think of what that means. Think of that, what that tells you. Because here's what's going to happen this morning. My goal this morning over the last few weeks has been the same as it'll be this morning, and that's to build evidence, to collect evidence to prove to you that you may believe. You may have heard that somewhere this morning if you were here early. And I want to build and I want to show you enough things to help your mind accept this as a real event in a real time involving real people, you have got to believe this. I spent the last couple of weeks trying to convince you that Jesus is who He says He is, and now you have got to believe this. No, This is the single most important event in the history of the world, and you've got to believe with all you've got in you that it's real. This hyssop, what's the chances that the same bush that was used to paint blood over the doorpost that made the death angel pass over your house is the same bush they used to give Jesus soured wine on His tongue so He can say, it is finished and the ultimate sacrifice has been made. Think of that. Remember, we're compiling evidence. We're compiling evidence. So go with me. Now, I want to warn you, I don't normally do it this way. But we're going to be multiple places this morning. Good news is, they're all the four Gospels. Alright? And I'm going to take a little bit of evidence out of each one's writing. So we're going to start in the book of John, chapter 20. Um, read His account of the resurrection. Then we're going to go to Mark. Then we're going to go to Luke. Then we're going to come back to John. We're going to leave Matthew out for the sake of time. I'm not going to read all of them to you, and I'll go through that as we get there, but, I'm, but we're going to look at all of them and bring a little evidence. And again, my purpose this morning is to compile evidence for Easter. And we're going to finish with what Kevin talked about this morning. Believe it or not, we do not plan that. Sometimes it lines up that way. John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. If y'all would, stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she, he, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. We're going to get to that in a minute. This is funny. And said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid Him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stopping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. As, for as yet they did not understand the Scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Let's pray. Father and our God, again, I humble myself before you to say thank you for this day. Thank you for the events that have taken place so many years ago, Father, that make it possible for us to have a right relationship with you. Father, I thank you for Easter. And I pray, God, that you would open our hearts and minds to your word that as we compile this evidence, Father, of the realness of this event and the importance of this event, that you would just show up and show out, that you would allow us to see and feel your presence. Father, we thank you, we love you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, the first thing we see in reading John's account of this is the name Mary Magdalene. 
Mary Magdalene was a real person, and we're going to see a lot of Mary Magdalene this morning. She's going to be our link between the other folks because everybody seems to put her name in their account of what's happened. And what's happened is, of course, Jesus has been crucified. He's been taken off the cross, and His body has been placed in a tomb that is not His tomb. It was a borrowed tomb. Is a guy that spoke up and said, Hey, I've got a tomb. What were y'all planning on doing with the body? And they said, Y'all can have it, put it, whatever. And they take him off and they put him in this tomb. And this big rock is rolled in front of the, the opening of this tomb to make sure that nobody can get into that tomb. Because the chief priests and the elders got together, and we'll look at this in a little while, and it'll be part of our evidence. They got together and said, You know what? He talked about rising on the third day. His disciples may go steal his body. And, and if they steal his body, then they'll be able to convince all these people that he rose like he said he would. So let's put this great big large huge stone in front of that tomb so that it can't be moved by his disciples. So he's been laid in that tomb. The first thing we see is Mary Magdalene's name. Keep, put that in your notes, in, the, in, the, in your mind, and, and just kind of sit on that one for a moment. The next thing I want you to notice, now this is, this is evidence that is common to all of mankind, okay? This is going to make this story more real to you if you haven't already caught it. Listen to me. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple. All right, we're going to decide who the other disciple is here in just a second. You want to? Look here what he says about the other disciple. The one whom Jesus loved. Y'all know who it is yet? Hey, listen, his name's at the top of the page. It's the guy that wrote this story. He's the other disciple. So it's Peter and John. Now listen, we're compiling evidence to make you believe this is a real story, right? I want you to notice about this story right here. I'm fixing to make it so hard for you to deny that what this guy wrote was true. Watch this. And he said to them, uh, I'm sorry, she said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, which is who? John, the guy writing this. And they were going toward the tomb. Get, it, get in mode here. We come out of the house. We're going toward the tomb. Look at what he says. Both of them were running together. Look. But the other disciple outran Peter. John goes, we come out of the house, right? And we were running together, but I outran him. I beat him. Right? Is that not what every man in here would tell if they told the story? Right? I beat him. I'd be trying to convince y'all, look, I know I look big, and I know Kevin don't, but listen, I outran him. Shane, I got there first, bro. Now look, it ain't good enough to mention that one time. Remember, we're trying to decide, is this stuff real? I'm going to give you some more evidence. Keep rolling with me. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth, which was on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up. Look at here, verse 8. Then the other disciple, then I, is what John should have written, then I, who reached the tomb first, he won't let it go. Does that not sound like every man in this building? Right? This is real time. This is real people. This is a real day in the history of this world. This is at a real place. This is, this is real, and I've got to get it in your mind. I've got to show you things that I think will make you believe, and we're going to get to that. Kevin's done covered it, and we're going to go right circle right back around to it, and I think it's an awesome thing that we don't sit down and plan this stuff out, and he comes in here and preaches the same thing, or teaches, talks about devotions, the same thing. My note, he could have been reading from my notes. My wife is sitting across the table from me dying laughing. She's looking at me going... You've been studying this, ain't you? I said, yeah. She said, this is what you're going to preach, ain't it? I went, yeah. 
It's crazy. It's God. That's exactly what it is. It's God. I, but I want you to see that because you have to believe this. This is the key that unlocks the whole deal with Christianity. This is the key that unlocks all of your faith. If Jesus isn't exactly who He says He is, then He's a liar. And your faith, useless. So you've got to believe this, and you've got to believe it because you believe it. Not because I've said it, not because He said it, because you believe it to be real. And I'm trying to compile that evidence to help you make that case this morning. Look at this. Another thing to recognize in all of that that we just read is right here at the end, verse 9, For as yet they did not understand the Scripture, that He must rise from the dead. At this point, in this, in this event, these two disciples who have been with Christ this entire time, they, they, they don't understand it yet. On three occasions before He died, Jesus told these 12 men, I will be handed over to evil men, I will be put to death, and I will rise again on the third day. They were told that directly three times. And not one of them were standing there on the third morning watching for that rock to roll away from that tomb. And John explains why. At this point, we hadn't got it yet. We hadn't understood it yet. Our minds, it just did not click with them. Just like Kevin said this morning, where were they? They were hiding. We're going to read an account here in a minute that says they were in the upper room with the door locked for fear of the Jews. They were scared at this point. This guy that they thought was the Messiah, this guy that they thought was the Christ, this is the guy that's going to lead the children of God out of all of this bondage. He's the man. He's gone. Their hope is gone at this point. They are defeated. But, good news, John won the race to the tomb. <laughs> Go with me to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, verse 1. Mark chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they might go and anoint Him. Alright, so here's that name again. Remember I told you we'd see this one again? Alright, here's Mary Magdalene again. So they, these stories are, these, these are starting to, to line up, right? But we've added two more names. Mark records that it wasn't just Mary Magdalene, but it was also Mary the mother of James and someone by the name of Salome. So now we've got three witnesses to this event. Okay, keep going with me. So they're gonna go, they went and bought spices so they could come and anoint the body, which, which was, was a tradition of the time. It's what they done. And early... Very early on the first day of the week, that day lines up with John's account, by the way, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed, and he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment, had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The evidence in this story, number one, let's keep compiling these names. Mary Magdalene, mother of James, 
Salome. So now we've got three people that were involved. But it says that they left so shooken up and so scared that they didn't say anything to anyone on their way to tell the disciples. Does that seem real to you? Does that, does that sound lifelike to you? Does it sound possible that if you were one of these three women and you were coming to this tomb to anoint this body with oils, when you, you were on your way talking about how are we going to move this stone, you get there, the stone's gone, you see an angel that says, you've come to see Jesus, but he's not here. He is risen. And, he, and they walk away so disturbed, so shaken, the event and trying to process in their mind. And it's got them so rattled that they don't tell anybody. I mean, they just walk away going, oh, what did we see? What is going on? Right? That seems real to me. That seems how I would respond. That sounds like something I would do. As a matter of fact, in, in my everyday life, there are events that from time to time that I walk away from with my head down going, oh my, what was that? Now, sometimes it's at Walmart and that's a different thing. That's completely different. But I'm talking about just regular stuff going, oh my, what did God just do? What did God just do? And a lot of times, just as it did this past week, it puts me on my knees and makes me go, I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry. I've spent four days griping and complaining. And now you show up on the fifth day. And God, I'm sorry. These ladies just experienced that. Not the griping and complaining part, but something happened to the point that they walk away with their head down going, what happened? What's going on? And they're rattled. And they're shaken. And it makes this story look so real to me. Look, let's keep going here. 9 to 14. Now, when he rose early, <clears throat> when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to... Boy, her name's in this thing, ain't it? from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. Remember we said these guys, were, these guys hope was gone. Here it is, they're mourning and weeping. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they wouldn't believe it. They couldn't believe it. They, they couldn't imagine that this was real, right? Keep going. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Listen, guys. Eleven of these men, because Judas has done taking care of himself because he, the guilt he carried for betraying Jesus. So of the twelve, eleven are left that were present when Jesus looked them in the eye and said, I'm going to be handed over to evil men. I'm going to die. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again. Yet, after, in this particular account, Mary Magdalene tells them, then he, Jesus appears to two others walking down the road. They go tell them, they don't believe it. They're missing it. If these men stood there while Jesus said it, they were present during the crucifixion. They're present at the time of His resurrection and they missed it. How much easier is it for you and I to miss it? That's what scares me. If it's that easy for them to miss it, if it's easy for them to say, but they didn't believe it, how much easier is it for you and I to look at it and go, I don't believe it. And if you don't believe this, it's not going to be good. <laughs> this is the key to Christianity. This, this is the single most important event. Everybody else's God died, right? Every other, everybody else's God was put in a tomb of some sort. As a matter of fact, for some of these religions, that's where they go to worship, is at the tomb where their God is buried. The thing that separates Christianity from every other religion in the whole world 
is a risen Savior. They don't even try to claim it. You've got to believe this. You've got to understand that this is a real event. This isn't got anything to do with the marketing schemes of the world we live in today. With eggs and bunnies and whatever. Chocolate and peanut butter. This is a lot more serious than that. And we've, you've got to believe it. And if it's that easy for them to not believe it after they were there, how much easier is it for us to miss it? Don't miss this. Do not miss this. Um, uh, 14. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at a table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Jesus kind of scolded them about this. He addresses this issue himself. Now he's appeared. They're reclining at the table. They're back into that upper room. They're reclining at the table. And Jesus comes in. We'll read an account here in just a second. I think I... I kept it in my notes, where it says that even though the door was locked, Jesus appeared amongst them. And the door was locked because they feared the Jews. And Jesus comes up in the middle of them and goes, guys, how did you miss this? In one account, he says that on that walk back and he talks to the two guys and he hides his appearance from them in some way and they don't recognize who He is, He takes them back to the Old Testament Scripture and explains to them that everything in the Old Testament is pointing at me as the Christ. And He breaks it completely down for them and they go, What? And they go running back to the others and tell them and they're like, Nah, I'm not buying that. There's one account in here that says that the guards who were guarding the tomb, because not only was there a rock, there was guards there, those guards were paid money to lie and say that the disciples stole the body. When they came back to the chief priests and they reported what had happened, we got up this, hey man, all of a sudden an earthquake and the stone rolled away and angels appeared and Jesus is gone. They said, here's money. You make sure and tell that they stole his body. And we'll make sure you don't lose your head. Because see, it was going to be their fault if that really happened. So they had to give them money to tell that story. And the end of that verse says, And to this day, many Jews still believe it. Why, if it wasn't real, would they be paying money for people to lie about it? Why would they not let the guards just tell the truth? Look at the evidence. Look, just look at the evidence. This is a real event. It really happened. You've got to understand that. You've got to believe that. This has to be the most important event to you in the history of all time is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If this ain't real, we're all wasting our time. You've got to see this. This evidence has to be real to you. Look, Go with me to Luke chapter 24. Uh, verse 10. We won't go all the way back through all of that. We'll, we'll start with the places where we're pulling out evidence. <clears throat> Luke chapter 24 verse 10. Ah, oh, this is... I got ahead of myself. I, I finally... Never mind. We'll get there. <clears throat> now it was... Three times we've read this story. Three times this lady's name has come up. Three, three different people claim, they may not list everybody all the same, but all three of them that we have read this morning say, Mary Magdalene was there. That's a real person. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the mother of James. That's the second time Mary, the mother of James, has come up. Right? 
the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. So now we've got an additional name, two names repeated, and he says additional women. Which means that Salome probably was there. He couldn't remember the name. Remember, these guys are writing this stuff down not as it happens, right? They're not walking around with a pencil in their hand taking notes. At some point after all of this is over, they go sit down and write out the events that they remember. Have you ever done that? Have you ever tried to recall and tell somebody something that happened a while ago? Connor has. He grinned at me. Yeah, it's kind of tough, isn't it, to remember all the exact details, right? And they're trying to remember and recount this stuff. But look at all the similarities. Look at how close they are. Mary Magdalene's in all three. We've added Mary, the mother of James. She's in two. Salome has been added, and now we've added Joanna. And the last two we've read said, and others. There are witnesses, there are real people who really seen this stuff take place. Keep going, there's more. Other women with them who told these things to the apostles, look at this, verse 11. But these words seem to be an idle tale, and they did not believe them. That's three different folks that's been writing and recounting what took place. And three different ones say, and when we first heard of it, when we first saw it, when we were first told, we didn't believe it. If they can miss it, how much easier is it for us to miss it? Please don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Keep going. But Peter rose and ran. Now, hang on. We done read about Peter running once this morning, ain't we? Huh? Didn't John tell us that Peter struck out running? Now, John tells it that him and Peter went, and John tells it that, hey, I beat him. (laughs) I got there first. I didn't go in. I stuck my head in, but I got there first. Then Peter went in, and then the guy that beat Peter went in. Now we see Luke writing about it, and he says that Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Coincidence? I think not. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. These guys can't figure it out. They're struggling to put the evidence together. And they were there. They were physically with him. They walked with him physically. He taught them. He told them. He warned them. And they missed it. Please don't miss it. It's so important that you know that this is real. It's so important that you believe this evidence. It's so important. Christianity hinges on this. Your faith hinges. Listen. If this didn't happen, if he's not resurrected and he's still in the ground, of all, we are most pitiable. Because our hope is in this this right here. That he is who he says he is. He's the son of God, fully God, fully man, and he's risen from the tomb. And if it's not true, of all men, we are most pitiable. Because it's where our hope is. You have to believe this. You have to understand this. And you have to be able to convince yourself of it. You can't do it because I say. You can't do it because Kevin says or Ronnie says or Chris says or Dale says or Sean says or Jesus, whoever. You have to know this because you believe it to be true. Because if you don't believe it to be true, it won't take long to convince you otherwise. And it certainly won't be worth dying for. As a matter of fact, just the embarrassment of speaking, it'll be enough to stop you. But if you believe it, if you understand it, then it'd be hard to take it away from you. It'd be hard to convince you otherwise. Keep going. Go down to verses 26 and 27. I've done covered this, but I'll show you where I got it from. Uh, Luke 24, 26. 
This is, this is Christ has appeared to them, to the two guys walking down the road, and this is in the middle of that conversation. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. So He, he takes them all the way back to Moses in the Old Testament Scriptures, and He points to all of that scripture and goes, it's talking about me. It's talking about Christ. It's talking about the Savior. And listen, Savior, we keep calling Him Savior. Savior, Lord and Savior. For Him to be a Savior, He had to have saved you from something, right? You know what He saved you from? The wrath of God. <laughs> the wrath of God. Is what you've been saved from as a follower, a believer. If He is your Lord and Savior, you have been saved. You have to know and understand what the wrath of God is for this to be important to you. You see where I'm coming from? Do you see what I'm trying to tell you? You have to understand these things. You have to know these things. You can't just come in and out the doors of the church and enjoy good sermons and good music and good food at times. And just let that be that. You have to know this stuff. You have to understand this stuff. Listen, he... Wait a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. Y'all going to force me to say something I ain't supposed to say yet. John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Verse 24. You know, I have a guy that, that uh, chose to come bring his family to church with us this morning. And uh, he's been around me at work and he knows how loud I am at work. <clears throat> and he knows how, how crazy and wound up. And I can't imagine as he's sitting back here now thinking, you know, this dude's as crazy in here as he is at, at work. <laughs> this dude ain't got no more sense inside all these, around all these people than he does around us. The reason that is is because this is something I'm very passionate about. I'm, very, I'm, I'm telling you, my desire to have you believe this is through the roof. I'm so passionate about trying to spread the gospel and trying to help you understand the importance of believing this stuff and knowing this stuff. You, you, have, you have to understand that it ain't just because I like to be loud. <laughs> It, it ain't just because, because I, I, I like to get up here and, and sweat through three layers of clothes. <laughs> it's because I really believe this with all I have in me. And I see the importance of you believing it too. Let's wrap things up in John chapter 20, starting verse 24. Now look, this guy here had a problem with believing too. Look at here. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails in the place, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I'll never believe. What's Thomas saying? What's he talking about? Well, Jesus was crucified on the cross, and, and the way they'd done that was, in order to hold them to that cross, they, the cross was laid down, the person was laid down on top of the cross, and there was nails driven through the palms of their hands. And then their feet was placed on top of one another, flat against the bottom part of this, and a nail driven through there. And then when they stood that cross up, nothing, nothing was stretched and tight, so there was room to, 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 to adjust and what that did was caused you to just completely suffer. Just there, there's no, I mean, it's so unimaginable. So Thomas says, the only way I'm going to believe it is if I can walk up to Jesus and I can stick my finger in the hole where they put that nail. And I can put my hand in his side where they stabbed him with the spear to finish it all off.
That's the only way I'm believing that it's Jesus. Any other way, I won't believe it. Now listen, Thomas is one of the disciples. He's been there. He's heard what Jesus has said. He knows that he's supposed to be handed over to evil men, die and be and rise again the third day, to be resurrected the third day. And Thomas says, y'all didn't talk to the Lord. He's gone. And the only way I'll believe it's him... So if I can stick my finger in that hole in his hand. Uh-oh. Keep going. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Look here. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord, my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. See, even Jesus knows it's a little tougher for us. Even Jesus, He explains it right here to, to, to Thomas. And He goes, Thomas, you believe because you've stuck your finger. You literally got to stick your finger in the nail holes. Is that why you believe? Then blessed are those who have not seen See, Jesus knows that this is going to be hard for us to believe. John records it. John knows this is going to be hard for us to believe. It's going to be hard to wrap your mind around all the things that have taken place. It's going to be hard for you to imagine that somebody can love you so much that they would be hanged on a cross when they didn't have to be. That He would shed His own blood just for you. And He done it while you were yet... It wasn't because you were still sinners. It wasn't because you love him so much that he done all these things. He done this for people who hate him. Remember last Sunday I told you we were talking about Palm Sunday and the crowd standing by the road is standing out there hollering, Hosanna, King of David. And they've got this parade set up. What did I tell you they'd be doing Friday? The same people are standing on the streets hollering, crucify him. Give us Barabbas and crucify him. Those are the people he went to that cross for. The despicable, the wicked, the, the, the spiteful. The people that hated him, he was there for them. He done this for me, he done this for you. He done this to cover a multitude of sins. He done this so every human being walking the face of this earth would have the opportunity. I didn't say so they'd all be saved because some of them's just not going to believe it. And you know what? It's hard to believe. I'm with you. But I'm telling you, you've got to believe this. You've got to understand the importance of this. I mean, I'm to the point of pleading and begging. Please listen to what I'm telling you. Look at here what John, we've done seen this once this morning. We're going to see it again. Verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. There was a lot of things that took place. There was a lot of things that went on. There was a lot of things that Jesus did. But we ain't got a place to write it all. The book would be too big. And I know John's talking about his account, and I know John's talking about this book, but let me assure you it also is true about the entire book. That there's many things that took place, many things that happened, many things that Jesus did to show and prove that He is the Messiah, that He is the Christ. Many things in the Old Testament that took place for God trying to get His children's attention that aren't necessarily written in this book. But look at this next verse. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, 
the Son of God. And that by believing that Jesus is exactly who he says he is, by believing that Jesus is the Christ, by believing that Jesus is the Son, not by believing Jesus was a good prophet, not by believing that Jesus was a good teacher, because plenty of people in other religions believe that. But Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, I think verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody gets to the Father but by me. In other words, just like Kevin pointed out this morning, that was an answer to a problem of darkness. And Jesus pointed at himself and goes, I am the answer. I'm the way, the truth, the life. Nobody gets to the Father. So if Jesus said that, then He's claiming to be the Son of God. He's either exactly who He says He is or He's a liar. Because that's who He said He was. So He can't be a good prophet and be a liar. He can't be a good teacher and be a liar. He's either exactly who He says He is or he's a liar. So this ain't about believing Jesus is a good prophet. This ain't about believing Jesus is a good teacher. This is about believing that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. The Christ, the Son of God. And if you can believe that, look, if this stuff's written so that you can believe that. And the result of believing that is this, that you may have life. That you may have life in his name. No other access to this life. You can't be good enough. You can't be smart enough. You can't work hard enough. You can't come from the right lineage. You can't have the right mama and daddy. You can't be a member of the right church. The only way to access eternal life, life in Christ is through believing that Jesus is exactly who He says He is. In believing in the death. Now listen, we've talked a lot about resurrection this morning, but all three elements are very important. But by believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you've got to really believe it. You've got to believe it like you can look into this Word and see it happening. You've got to believe it to the point where you're okay with a little suffering if that's what it takes to get the word out. You've got to believe it to the point that you may get your feelings hurt from time to time because you're trying to live in a way that you believe is the right way because Jesus said it was the right way. You're going to be scolded and you're going to be laughed at and they're going to make fun of you and it's going to hurt your feelings because you believe this. And I know that's true because Jesus said, I'm the vine, and look how they treat me. How do you think they're going to treat you? It's not always going to be good. There's going to be some suffering involved. That's why you've got to believe it. Because if you don't really believe it, if you don't really understand it, if you don't really think it's true, if you just believe a portion of it, if you just think a, a, a percentage of it's believable, then when the heat gets turned up and life gets hard for you, guess what you'll do? You'll quit. You'll quit. Every time. You've got to wholeheartedly buy into this. You've got to believe this. John said he went through the trouble of writing what he did right. I couldn't write it all. I wanted to, but I couldn't write it all. It wasn't room. But what I did write, I wrote for a purpose. I wrote it so you can believe. We have went through this morning through three different of the four Gospels and tried to compile evidence and try to compare them and try to look at things. And try to decide whether or not this is even believable. And I'm telling you, I think the evidence is overwhelmingly in favor of being a true story. And I'd encourage you that if you still ain't decided, that you sit down with this word. Listen, we live in a day and time you don't even have to have a physical copy of the Bible to have a Bible. Now I would caution that you are peculiar about which app you do download. 
But you know, there's things like Version and Bible Hub that have genuine versions of Scripture. And it's easier today to study this stuff than it's ever been if you know how to use the resources and what. Now, I wouldn't just go Google it. <laughs> I'd be careful with the goggles and Googles because they'll get you in trouble. But there's no reason you can't study this for yourself and make your own decision. I hope and I pray that I've done it in a way this morning that you've already made that decision. If you came in here not knowing that you can look at what was said and you can look at what was pointed at and you can say, you know what, I, I believe this is real. And if you ain't never accepted the sacrifice that Christ made on your behalf, I pray with all I got in me before you leave this morning that you'll make that decision. And listen, I'm talking to everybody here. I don't care what your title is, what your age is, how long you've been at it. That ain't no guarantee that you're saved if you ain't never believed this and you ain't never established a relationship with your maker through his son. Now's the time. Maybe you've half believed it. Maybe you've been doing this thing all of your life and you look at it and go, you know what? Oh, I think about 75, 80% of this is true. Listen, it's all or none. Maybe there's something in your life that you believe is holding you back and disqualifies you from this opportunity. Ain't nothing in this world bigger than my God. The only thing He tells us is unforgivable is blasphemy. And that is rejecting. That's refusing to believe it. That's the, if, you, if you'll just stand up and admit that you believe it and ask for His grace to be in your life and ask to be saved from the wrath of God, you will be. It's a start of a process. We'll be glad to help you walk through that every step of the way. Please don't walk out of here with questions. If I'm too loud for you, or I'm too pretty for you, you can always stop and see Kevin. He's right here too. Right, right. Say so you never know. That's why you got to listen to every word I say. Because you never know. Listen, I want you to be comfortable with whomever you talk to. Maybe, maybe it's somebody in here that you know that you're more familiar with than either one of us. I encourage you to grab that person and, and, and give them your questions or pour your heart, whatever. But don't walk out of here knowing that Jesus Christ is not your, the Lord of your life. Don't walk out of here knowing that you've never asked Christ as your Lord and Savior because there's one thing I can promise you. Ten out of ten people die. And don't narrow one of us know when our time's going to be up. Please don't take that chance.